This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Jouar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Jouar, and today is Wednesday, June 26, 2019, and my guest is Tom Honeyans, the tech chap himself. On the you show. said my name correctly. I'm impressed. Oh, well, there you go. I tried. I rehearsed for this one, Tom. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. Welcome to the show. And uh, it's, it's really great to have you. Um, so uh, you're in the US right now? Is that what you said to me? I'm actually in a very small cubicle at a WeWork in Boston. So yes, uh, travel, as you know, we, we, we tech YouTubers and uh, journalists, we travel a lot. So in Boston right now. Oh, fantastic. So that was, a, it made it a little easier for us since I'm in San Francisco. Um, listeners, if you hear my voice and think, uh, this sounds a little different, this is what happens when I have allergies. Uh, so uh, I sound a little nasally. I'm sorry about that. But I'm the same as well, Miriam. Don't worry. Okay. So we have a bunch of stuff we want to talk about. The big news this week, I think, and Tom, maybe you will agree, is the big announcement that Google... Well, it wasn't really an announcement. It's more like uh, Rick Osterloh, the head of uh, Google Hardware, basically just tweeted, hey, you know, I think we're done with tablets, so bugger off. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> but, you know. Right? That's how you'd say it in England. Yeah. Is are you that surprised? No. No. I have never been a fan of what Android's done on the tablet. Or sorry, Google's done on tablet side. It's a real shame. I mean, iPads are just ubiquitous for tablets. Android have tried, the apps have never been properly optimized. And while like, you know, Google Chromebooks are good, no one's bought their their Pixel Slates. It's I mean, the hardware was fine, I think, but I, I don't think anyone's going to be losing sleep over this. No, look, the thing for me is I'm a huge Chromebook fan. From day one, I was like, this is, this is amazing. Like, you, you, my background is, you know, I came from, oh my God, I, I can rewind all the way back to the 80s because I'm old. But I, I had personal computers in the 80s, like Commodores and Apples and things, you know. I, not, I never owned them. I had access to them. That's how I learned to become a nerd. Um. And then decided, hey, I want to be an I want to be a nerd, an, an adult nerd. Like I want to be a professional nerd when I grow up. And that's that's what taught me that. But then I'm, I switched to an Atari ST. That was my first like computer that behaved like a modern computer with a GUI with a graphical user interface. And from that moment on, I was kind of always looking for the next thing. And so I went to Windows reluctantly. Windows. Uh, what was it? Before 95, 3.1, I guess, is the first version of Windows I really used. I think that's right. And I went from that to, to 95 to 98. I skipped ME. I went to XP. I, sp- I stayed on XP kicking and screaming for a long time. Never really <laughs> used 7 or 8. Went to 10. Um, but this is in parallel to that. I started using a Mac uh, for work um, in the late 90s. So Mac OS... 7, 5, then 8, then 9. And then I never, again, I, n- I never could afford a Mac. I could afford a PC, so that's why I had Windows at home. But I then switched over to Mac in the PowerPC days in 2004, 2003. So I was one of those early, you know, Mac PC switchers. Yeah. And then I've um, been using a Mac ever since. And but, but at the same time, I've always, you know, kind of played around with Linux because I'm, I used to be a professional developer. I made video games for a living. So having a Linux box around was always kind of a, a thing I wanted. 
And then at the same time, Chrome, when Chromebooks came out, I was like, this is kind of exactly what I need because I, need, I just need a web browser. Like in some cases, right. for a lot of the work I do as a tech journalist, I just need a web browser. And, but I don't like tab. At the time, tablets weren't really baked yet, you know. Um, the netbook revolution kind of happened in there in the middle of somewhere, but it was a terrible experience because there's Windows. Yes, it was. The Windows, but kind of crappy, cheap, but crappy. And so I never really kind of took off for me. I, I did a lot of hacking of netbooks, like adding like touchscreens and Bluetooth <laughs> modules and stuff. And that's kind of how my, my, my reputation as a tech journalist started by basically being a bit of a, you know, make maker. And then I, I, I graduated to actually like real stories and smartphones and stuff. Um, but, but the point I'm making is that Chromebooks, when they came, I was like, this is the form factor I want. I don't care about a touchscreen. I want a nice screen, nice keyboard, nice trackpad, and a really good web browser. Um, and, and the promise of, you know, updates being taken care of, security being taken care of was really, really compelling to me. So I've been a big fan of switching between my Macs and my Chromebooks all this time. And then... Right, and it's, as you know, it's huge with students because of the, the price. Exactly. It's, it's incredibly good value for money. And it can also be a little bit more locked down. Yeah, no, secure. absolutely. And, and then they made the Pixel book or whatever, not the Pixel book, the Pixel mm -hmm. laptop. And I, I, and I, I wouldn't yeah. pay for that one. I mean, don't get me wrong, I would never buy one of those. But when I was given one to review or play with, I Same. was like... Oh man. And so from there on, I've been a kind of a pixel laptop fan. So I got this next gen and I got a pixel book. And so to me, when I, they announced the slate, this is all leading up to the slate. To me, when they announced the slate, I was like, what the F are you doing? Like, that's not <laughs> what I want, Google. Like, I thought you were going to give us an even thinner, lighter, more sexy, bez almost bezel-less pixel book. That was the, that was the end game. Like, I didn't mind that it turned into a two-in-one and converted into a tablet. I thought that was very helpful sometimes to watch sure. YouTube videos and stuff. But I did not want a detachable keyboard. I didn't want a Surface-like device. And so I, they, I felt that they lost the plot. And I think I said that last, last year when they announced it. How, how, I'd love what, to see their sales numbers for the slate. What is your evolution six. in computing? And how did you get to, um, like, incorporate tablets if 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 at all in your workflow and or what was your history on computers well i i'm generally a bit of a windows guy i i did have uh, a macbook pro 15 for when i used to work uh, as a video producer at trust reviews uh, here in the uk it's one of the biggest tech websites so they uh they, they plonked a, a macbook on my desk and I've, I've always been familiar with them but generally for the uh, for the variety and just being able to get a bit more sort of nitty gritty behind the scenes, tweak a few things. I've always been a bit of a Windows guy. So, uh, I mean, right now I use a Dell XPS 15. That's my sort of okay. workhorse. And I love that. As, in terms of tablets, I have I had an iPad. Uh, I've had most of the iPads. Um, right now, the only, I have, I have the new uh, iPad Pro 11 inch, which is just a beautiful device. Oh, it's an amazing piece of hardware. It's my favorite piece of Apple hardware since the iPhone it's, 4. I, you know what? I completely agree with you. It's just such a nice thing. Uh, but the downside is uh, there's not still not a whole lot I do with it. I actually use it as a bit of a teleprompter. Uh, it, I reflect it off some perspex in front of my uh, very cool. uh, my, my camera. And so when I've got a very technical review, I'll, I'll uh, script it, put it on the prompter, and it's the most expensive <laughs> sort of uh, hacked teleprompter you can get. Uh, aside from that, watching movies on a plane, although I, I don't, for some reason, as as much as everyone loves the iPad and with good reason, it doesn't have an AMOLED screen, does it? It's still LCD. No, but it's that high refresh, right? One twenty hertz. It, it is, and I do love that. And I wish 
everything and the colors are i mean the the calibration is is baller like true, i mean if you're but a pro if you watch true but if you watch a, a movie in a lower light room you, you, the black bars of your movie are gray oh, or dark yeah, blue yeah uh, and coming from any phone, even a mid-range phone, I've got the uh, Asus Zenfone. Nope, that is LCD. But there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of mid-range phones with AMOLED screens, or oh, sorry, OLED screens. And wait, this is a bit of a tangent, I suppose. But that's tangents one are area encouraged think, on the show. Go carry <laughs> that's on. That's one area I'd love Apple to to fix. Although I think there's issues around high refresh and OLED in that screen size. Anyway, but when it comes to Pixel books, I, I, I like yourself uh, got the review sample again. I think it was about. Twelve hundred pounds or fifteen hundred pounds. It was very expensive for that for the yes. Google Pixel laptop. Beautiful bit of kit, uh, really really nice. Far too expensive for what the average user would need a Pixel for. Because as soon as you start throwing i five and i seven processors, yeah, in there, yeah. It, it, but the, that's not what they're for. The experience is incredible. Like I think that that's what I want to say to people. Like I wish everybody could afford a Pixel book. Like forget the slate yes. and forget the early Pixel laptops specifically the pixel book and i really hope they refresh it for 2019 now that they've learned their lesson thanks google for <laughs> learning your lesson uh but like i feel like this is such an incredible like, i've got the core i7 maxed out with like 32 oh, gigs of ram or whatever beautiful. and it's just like a monster it's way better in some ways than my mac at where at surfing the web to be honest with you at least if i put chrome on a mac and and i just feel like the nice thing is Chromebook scales so nicely. You can buy a $300 Acer 2-in-1 convertible. Um, I can't remember the model number. They have one that's really lovely. It's cheap. It's It feels nice. It doesn't matter which uh, Chromebook you buy. The trackpad is always super high quality because, you know, they have good drivers because it's one OS. And they only support, you know, two or three trackpad controllers yes. right and it's like oh you mean sorry you mean the the super the budgety one like yeah, i'm you talking about, about the super cheap like 300 dollar 11 inch you know Th that's that, terrific yeah like they're yes. basically like a cheap pixel book like they they yes. fold over you know in tent mode and all that and and those so i'm saying the scale here and the experience yes. might not be as sweet because you don't have as much ram and as fast a processor but i feel that still like if if you buy even the cheapest Chromebook, you get a decent experience. I wouldn't necessarily say you get that on a Windows 10 device, although there are some Agreed. pretty cheap Windows 10 laptops. What's your history with Windows? Like, when did you start? What what OS? What <laughs> version did you start, and which did you skip? Uh, so I, I that's a, what a, a technical question. Uh, so I I think I started in '95. So I, I wasn't. I think I'm a, a few year, a couple of years younger than you. Uh, so uh, I I came in a, a much more. Um, a much nicer time. It was much the, the UI and, and and using Windows was much better from '95. So I think uh, I remember building my first PC with my dad around around like '98. I think we're on Windows '98 with yep. um, you know those beige IBM style PC cases, and we managed to get the original Deus Ex to run, uh, <laughs> uh, and also like a multiplayer version of it, which was a, a bit of a hack, which I was so impressed with. So um, I've, yeah, sort of building those Windows desktops from '95 '98. And then, yep, Vista. I wasn't you on know, the I skipped Vista. Vista. Like I, I completely skipped Vista. And seven, mostly, and then eight. I think oh, I had, seven. I, mean, I had seven one machine with seven. I, remember, I was a Mac user at this point, you know, pretty much, oh, yes, right? Yes. So I, I always had another computer around, but yeah. And I think in, in that period, Mac, uh, I, Mac OS did come to the forefront, you know, as the creator and the, the more usable uh, experience when you were dealing with the, the system hog that Vista was with widgets and all that stuff. I think Windows 7 reset that, which was great. Windows 8 
doesn't was like a more tablety uh, experience, but not great. I, I love where we are now, to be honest. I, I think feel Windows 10, 10 is really is, solid. I'm enjoying 10 significantly. And just regular updates that aren't requiring fresh installs and new CD keys and plastic boxes with codes. This is this feels like a, a modern uh, modern system. And, and obviously, we've got a similar thing with macOS. We get you know these these um, yearly updates. So yeah, uh, yeah, I'm. Windows 95 was a bit of a different beast, but uh, I, I like where we are at the moment. Yeah, I was a big fan of XP for a long time, just because it was solid and it I knew it of well, course. and it was still had enough of a, a leg in the old days of Windows that I understood, but had all the you know the NT kernel goodness, right? Yes, um, and so many companies still use XP because they're you know so older companies, but big corporations that take so long to adapt or change, they still use XP, uh, which I, occasionally I. I, I I, I experience and the lack of a search bar is, is something you yeah, right. quickly I mean, obviously today it's not feasible. I'm just saying for the zeitgeist at its time, like sure. all the way up to about Windows 7, honestly, I felt like XP was like, okay, I you're good, you know? Um, maybe a bit 10 really changed everything. And, and I feel like I, I use it currently. Uh, I have a bunch of Windows 10 devices. Primarily, I'm using Huawei Matebooks of various kinds. Oh, I love the Matebook. I have the, the it's latest. It's so underrated. Yeah. I have the latest MateBook X Pro, um, which I love. I have last year's as well. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's the same chassis, just slightly different specs. Um, interestingly, they sent me a Core i5 last year and a Core i7 this year, so I'm kind of really ballering this year with uh, with my uh, my because I got the top range one. They also sent me a um, MateBook 13 around CS time, and honestly, yes, I like I the that. form factor on that one. It's Kind of but with the Huawei news, the you know the controversy, oh Windows so Intel can't yeah. work with them. It's not just the phones we have to worry it's about. It's over. I, I, yeah, like I can't, in good conscience, recommend it anymore. Buy a no, MateBook. absolutely. Yeah. I was until then, though, because it was yes. it's such a great laptop, and it's kind of fun right now, actually, having it. Um, you know, sometimes I use it instead of my MacBook, and I, I go to a coffee shop or something, and like this, especially the new Mate. Book X Pro has that big Huawei logo on it. Like it doesn't have the, the flower; it just has the letters Huawei on it. And people yes. like give me the side eye, you know, in San Francisco because they're like, "Hide your children." Are you? And I'm like, I am a spy. Uh, and uh, I'm probably getting in trouble for saying that. That stuff live is in a real shame, isn't it? Because I, I always, I always think that. Huawei makes such terrific products and their engineering department, their R&D are yep. fantastic. Absolutely. But all this just high-level executive politics stuff gets it's in the crazy. way of... Like, can you imagine how frustrating it must be to be a, a scientist or an engineer there, come out with these fantastic things and just... You can't sell them. No one buys them because I know, of something. I know. I, I really hope they can resolve this somehow. I mean, we, you know, I live in a totalitarian regime, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I expect the men in black with lasers on their guns to come and get me at some point for saying the word spy earlier. But um, jokingly, though, uh, seriously, though, I mean, look, they're good. They're good laptops. So those are the ones I have. I have. I have a bunch of older ones that are like I had a Dell XPS 13. I'm actually looking forward to the new XPS 13 2 and one that was announced yes. at MWC. Uh, not MWC, sorry, no, Computex. Computex, Computex thank right. you. And you, what, what, like, you go, you have XPS 15, but what's your, do you have, like, others that you use, like, uh, you, t you take out for coffee and stuff? I'd, so, yes, Coffee like dates you, was your favorite other laptop? I know, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Coffee dates for me are the MateBook, the MateBook X Pro 2, the, the yeah, same as you. Yeah. Uh, if I need to get some 4K editing done, I'll take the Dell XPS 15. Right. Although, uh, they actually are announcing, they're going to be, Open or the opening the orders to the next to the 2019 one, uh, yeah, 2019 one. You excited this week? 
I am, it, well, yes. OLED screen would be nice. 16, 1650 Ti, I believe it is. Uh, wow. Ninth gen. Yeah. A, a bit of a spec bump, but there's also a new laptop I've just got in, which I'm looking forward to testing, called the Acer Concept 7D. Ooh. No, Concept D7. That's the right. And it's, I think it's an RTX 2060. It's in a similar thin and light chassis like an XPS, all white. Um, Acer showed it off in New York earlier this year. They had it at Computex. Uh, so that could be, and that's like a, like a Pantone certified calibrated screen. So really, there's, there's, as I'm sure you've seen, there's a trend towards performance laptops for creators, yes. not just gamers, which I love. Which I love the idea of because you know editing 4K videos and uh, stuff is. I, I like a bit of a beefy PC, but not something that's a full gaming laptop. So uh, XPS. D- uh, Acer Concept D7, also like the Razer Blade series are fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what uh, our good friend uh, David Kogan, the unlocker. My American brother, yes, David. <laughs> People say we look similar, but uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure. He's my American yeah, brother. Yeah, I don't know what, how they get that wrong. You know, <laughs> I mean, guys. You, 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 I told you about the Davids, right? When we were in Compu- at Computex. Yes, the Davids. The Davids. So that's, uh, you know, sexy David is, 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 is David. Uh, Kogan, right? So you know you can't it's be sexy. You, you you can only be sexy Tom. Like it doesn't like there's no okay. Like maybe you're sexy Tom, and that's why they're confusing the two of you. Well, I've got a face for podcasting. That's, that's what I'll say. Right. So um, rolling it back into tablets and Google, um, I wanted to talk quickly about my iPad experience. I, I feel like I bought the first gen, and I was like, it's amazing, but. It's just an iPhone on steroids, like it's big. Sure. And then, of course, I, I couldn't just, back then, you know, I didn't have, there was a brief time when I worked at Engadget, like three years or so at Engadget in uh, 2010 to 2013-ish, where I had a relationship with Apple. I was kind of the main point contact for Apple at Engadget. So obviously they would send me devices. So I they sent me, they, I wasn't really covering the iPad because my mobile was my beat, like phones. So that I would review all the iPhones for Engadget, but... I did get an iPad mini Gen 3, I think, from them, or Gen 2, before they went Retina, Gen 2, I think. Okay. Um, and that I played with that for a while, and then I haven't really had the budget to really justify buying iPads since then, but I've been coveting, I have to say, I've been coveting the Pro, uh, the current Gen, or the smaller one, particularly, um, because I feel the big one is a little too big. It's bigger than a 12-inch MacBook, so, like, you know... Why bother at that point? I love watching people on trains or planes or in Starbucks using that. Yeah, yeah. It's 13 inches, isn't it? It's just just ridiculous. And I have to say, look, I get it. Like, I, it's not for me, but I think if I had to recommend a tablet to anybody, it definitely would be an iPad and potentially an iPad Pro, especially with the iOS 13 improvements that are coming um, around mass storage and file management. iPad OS, yeah. Yeah, yeah iPad OS, thank really you. Good. It's called iPad OS now. Uh, around the, these improvements, I would really recommend, like I've always recommended the iPad. In terms of tablets at Google, I played with all of them. They sent me a 10. I have a very good relationship with Google. They sent me the 10, the Nexus 10 back in the day. Too big. Oh, yes. Uh, not so good, too big. The Nexus 7, awesome. I had two of those, the two gens. I loved it at the time. I love that. At the time, yeah. phones weren't very big uh, comparatively to now uh, in terms of screen size. So it was kind of like always in my bag. And if I needed to do a little bit more screen real estate with a mirror of my phone experience in terms of the apps installed, I used it for that. I used it like a big It was seven inch as well, I think. I think it was a great size. And then the nine came out from HTC and that was kind of meh. And then 
the Pixel C came out. That's one of the few that I never got, which was like this weird kind of convertible kind of like, instead of having like this fabric magnetic uh, keyboard attachment, it had like a metal magnetic keyboard attachment. And I never played with that one, so I have no point of reference. But they tried really hard. But I think Android wasn't really ready to be, to be tweaked into something. Like it, I, th- I actually think Android today would be much better experience on the Pixel C if the Pixel C existed with modern hardware. And then, of course, then there was the Chrome tablets. I've used a few and meh. I, I don't like Chrome OS as a touch-based experience. It's kind of like Windows 10 as a touch-based experience. I like the fact that I have a touch screen that I can reach to the screen and swipe up on a web page and it scrolls, that I yeah. can tap on a big link if I'm, if I'm in tent mode in my kitchen following a recipe or something. You but use tent mode? I, I've always wondered who uses standard Just tent. to watch videos mostly. Okay. And, yeah. and I feel that on Chrome or Windows 10, I feel that having the touchscreen for, for these very kind of fringe cases is what I want. And I don't really feel like I need a full touch experience. I agree. So to me, that's my use case. And that's kind of why the Pixelbook was perfect. And that's why I am still mad at you, Google, for making a <laughs> Pixel slate and delaying us another year into our nirvana that is going to be the next Pixelbook. Well, I'm sure the, the, the bosses will be listening to this podcast. I am so sure they will. They'll make some notes on You've this. listened and you've heard Mr. Rick Osterloh. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm not surprised this wasn't going to work out. Um, I saw, as soon as I saw the slate, I honestly wasn't impressed with the hardware. I mean, the screen is, the, the resolution of the screen is the thing that really stands out to me. But in terms of industrial design, it was very boring. I've, I, felt, I felt like the Pixelbook when it came out was a unique industrial design. It had that squarish, slim, like with those kind of rubber finish on the, on the palm rest. It wasn't perfect. There were some issues. It gets dirty, for example. But I still felt that they kind of had a unique pixel-like user experience in terms of design. Yep. And the slate just felt like a blob of a tablet. It's like, we want that tablet to melt away in the background and disappear. We don't even want you to feel and know you're touching hardware. And I'm like, I hate when companies do that. Like, like I love when companies do understand that their software experience is the most important part, but that the hardware makes that software experience better. And so the hardware better be delightful. It's like... I, do you want to wear a generic crappy looking watch on your wrist? Do you want to drive a blob of a generic car? No, you, you buy cars and you buy jewelry and, and you buy personal electronics in part because you want to make a statement because of your personality, because you want to express something. And I feel that having a blob of a device doesn't really help you with that. That's a good point. Although you could argue it's just pure function of a form, which is quite nice, but I agree with you. It doesn't but even, stand out. Look, even the Surface, I love what Microsoft's been doing with the Surface lineup. It's not for me, but I appreciate what they're doing. Sure. I think that my biggest, my favorite Surface device of all time, to be honest with you, is the Surface laptop. <laughs> I know it goes against everything. With the Alcantara because, keyboard? Yeah, because, well, that's a bit of a miss, in my opinion, because it's not going to wear out very well. Although mine has, my review unit has worn out pretty well, and I've used it okay. a lot. But I've, I guess I'm clean-ish with my hands. Um, but the thing is, you know, Alcantara on cars is terrible. Like, I have driven sure. many high-end sports cars that had Alcantara steering wheels and gear shifters, especially as manual transmission cars. And after two or three years, you know, they feel like sandpaper. That It just, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter how much you clean it. It's not dirt at this point. It's just the fabric gets all kind of scratchy. 
So that was a bad idea. But I feel like overall, of all the Surface products, that was, my, and of course, Surface Studio is another one of my favorite, but I don't have one, so. No one does. That's right? In the UK, it doesn't I think exist. they have about they one made review of, They made 10 of yes. them. That's about um, right. But, but anyway, the thing is, um, I get, I appreciate what the Surface tablets are trying to be, the Surface Pro, and the, even the Surface 3, uh, the latest one that had the LT and stuff. Really cool. Mm -hmm. But it's not for me. Like, I need something I can literally put on my lap and where the screen doesn't vicariously, or not vicariously, but, you know, what's the word? That doesn't, like, dangerously hang off of my lap in a way that it's going to come off Precarious. and fall. Precarious. Precarious. Thank you. That's the word there I was looking for. Yeah, so for. that's kind of my thoughts on all this tablet and thing business. So I'm not surprised... I'm bummed for people who bought a slate because even though they're going to get updates, you know, they know it's the end game. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking, but for me, turning it into a positive, I'm looking forward to the Pixel Book 2, I guess. Yes, and hopefully they can divert this manpower and R&D towards products that people actually want. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Switching gears, I heard rumors. Well, they're not rumors. You said it yourself in your video. Who told you this? Um, oh, yes. You did. <laughs> in your own video, you mentioned at the end of your uh, Oppo versus OnePlus video recently that you had an Xperia 1 floating around or that had just landed. And that was, what, I a do. week ago? So I am going to get the scoop from the tech chap on my own podcast, dun, 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 uh, well, about yeah, the Xperia well. <laughs> 1. <laughs> Sorry for pumping it up. I'm just joking. It's big news. Uh, well, they've they've been the review samples have been circling uh, circulating for a couple of weeks in the UK. Uh, I do have a very shiny white one here with me. Ooh, white. Uh, I've also got the yeah, Asus phone, a Galaxy S10 Plus, OnePlus M Pro. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I carry a few phones as we all do. Uh, so the Sony, I really like it, and it's the first Sony in about <laughs> since probably the XZ. Yeah, we say XZ, you guys say XZ. No, I'm okay XZ with XZ. I'm Canadian, I can do Z. <laughs> but for year, like for the first time in years, this is an interesting phone that stands out. Uh, what struck me when they launched the XZ Premium uh, last year or two years ago is they didn't bother to give review samples, as far as I know, to any UK uh, sort of influencers, creators. Instead, they... I was told they prioritize things like the Financial mm -hmm. Times and CTAM in, in London because they knew the target audience was middle-aged men or women who have always had a Sony and they don't care about chunky bezels and it's expensive and it's it looks business-like. The Sony Xperia 1 is such a, an interesting new design and, and direction for them. 4K, OLED... HDR, Snapdragon 855, 21 by 9 aspect ratio. So as far as I know, it's the only phone with that super, without, sorry, ultra-wide aspect. So if you are someone, and I'm not sure who these people actually are, but someone who watches lots of movies on yeah. their phone and not mm -hmm. their TV or their iPad or their laptop or their whatever, this would be great. Uh, as, yeah, with, with those specs, with that resolution, aspect ratio, not high refresh, 60 hertz, but it's arguably, if you want to go for a clickbait headline, the best phone for watching movies. And <laughs> it's, it's a lovely bit of kit. I really do like it. What yeah. do you think so far? Well, I don't have one. That's why I wanted to get your thoughts. I played with one at, at MWC. I will put your video, hopefully your video comes out soon and I'll put it in the show notes. But okay. uh, my video, my, hand, my hands-on video, which is silly because, okay, 
they let us have hands-on at MWC in a, like, I didn't get briefed there. I don't have, let, you know, Sony and US media, they don't really care too much about us, for phones at least. So uh, they, I went to their booth and I introduced myself as media and they said, oh yeah, we have a media area. We have some devices back there. Feel, feel free to spend as much time as you want making a video. And I was like, great. So I go back there and I set up and I realized that the phones will turn on and off. The screen will turn on and off. But that was it. that's it. There's no, yeah, there's nothing. They to, were, exactly. Nothing they, they displayed the on the screen, 10. no user interface, nothing. Yeah. Uh, which is so frustrating. My viewers thought I was, you know, effing with them <laughs> that I was showing them a, one of those, you know, the screen is painted on like plastic prototype things, you know, like yes. the ones that display models. And I stayed, I had to turn on and off the power a few times in the video to show, look, this is actually, maybe it's just a backlight, but. It, it's there and I could not show them anything except for the industrial design, which I think is delightful. I honestly have always liked the angular yes. Sony design, like Razer tried to do it. And, and, you know, they, they're the Razer phone, uh, kind of came from an acquisition of the, the next bit Robin. Right. And, right. and the Robin, you know, the industrial designer, uh, was the guy who did, did HTC, Scott Croyle. He lives in San Francisco here. And and Scott did the industrial design for the next bit, Robin, which I thought was delightful because of the colors. And and at the time, you know, it's kind of like was this unique thing. Then Razor took it and Razorized it, as I'd like to say, like turned into like Darth Vader style. made it uncomfortable. looking thing. Yeah, and it looks yes. ugly as hell. And I don't think it's very beautiful. Yes. But Sony somehow, always, like I like square phones, but only from Sony somehow. So so I, I think this is the... The Xperia 1 to me is a combination of Sony's design language, especially since there's so little bezel, it finally looks right. Yes. I mean, there's still some bezel there. It's still yeah, not, there not, is. But, uh, you know, they've always had a tall aspect ratio on their phones, the physical design of them. Right. So the, it's this, much, actually, as well as being 21 by 9, it's narrower as well. Yeah, you always had those terrible bezels because they had such tall phones. And now it's a little yes. more proportioned, I think. But what's got me really excited, and I want to hear your take on this, because, you know, I'm a mobile camera crazy person. I do. And how, like, so here's the thing about Sony is that, they make the sensors for most smartphones out there, like the IMX586, the that's ubiquitous 48-megapixel mm -hmm. sensor that's on everything. That's a phenomenal that's sensor, right? It's amazing at the price point. And yeah. yet, they have OIS on those things and everything for, 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 for their customers, for the Sony's, sorry, so Samsung's and the Huawei's and the other companies of the world that they sell this to. But for some reason, every time they made a Sony Xperia in the last few years, this, I believe that this Xperia 1 is the very first phone ever made by Sony, ever, with OIS. And, and that, to me, is insane because, like, why? I guess they didn't, they didn't want to, like, they had, they're worried about their camera division and they don't want to yeah, step on it or something. Could be. I have no idea, but that's a great that's a great question. <laughs> Why? But, so, what's the camera experience like? Is it any good? It, it is good. I, funnily enough, yesterday I took it around Boston with the S10 Plus. Uh, to, I'm working on a camera comparison as well. Uh, I also know uh, SuperSaf, uh, SuperSaf TV in the UK has has made a comparison. So, if mine's not out, go. I recommend his. I love I love that guy. Uh, but first impressions are it's good, but not as good as the S10 Plus in in a simple comparison. Um, there's sort of there's no stabilization or at least no good stabilization at 4K or video. Video, yeah. so you have to you're still on 1080p 30 if you want stabilization. Uh, low light is the dynamic. It doesn't handle the dynamic range anywhere nearly as good as the S10. Uh, I'm just using that as one example because I have. I mean, the S10 to... is a solid reference. If you can't match the S10, 
you're in yes. trouble, right? I think to me, the OnePlus 7 Pro matches the S10 in many ways. It's with so, updates, it, yes. Right, right with updates. And, yes. and I feel like that's kind of the bar now. If you are below S10, you're not a flagship. If you're above S10 or equal, you're a flagship. I agree, opinion. and I think I think the iPhone and the Pixel uh, do in many ways beat the S10. So there yeah, are there absolutely, are yeah. options out there, but so the Sony is good. I mean, as soon as you put things side by side, which the average person is not going to do, as long as it's ninety five percent as good, then you know, fair enough. But uh, for the price, and it is, a, I think I believe it's nine hundred pounds in the UK, so it's a flagship price. The yeah. X One, uh, it doesn't hold up the camera. It's, it's not. That's so Quite disappointing. Good enough. Like I, I wouldn't say it's disappointing, but it should be a little bit better. Uh, it, it's still good, but not great. And maybe like we saw with OnePlus, we'll, we'll see updates yeah, yeah, yeah. to improve this. And, and that's so interesting that we talk about software. And I think maybe we'll talk about this in another section of this podcast. But as you say, that ubiquity of that forty-eight megapixel IM five eight six sensor, but just how different. It can be based on software processing. Yep, yep. The, the Oppo Reno, the OnePlus 7 Pro, both have the same sensor, uh, same megapixels, I believe, but quite different output. It's quite different shots. So, and as we've seen from OnePlus, like sorry, uh, Google, the processing and the software makes such a difference. And so it's hard just to look at a spec or a spec sheet and really get an idea of how good a camera is going to be. For sure, you know, absolutely. So this has three cameras. It has an ultra-wide tele and a regular, I assume. Correct. Okay. Is the tele two times or three times? It's two times. Okay, so it's kind of like last year's t- setup or the Galaxy <laughs> S10 setup. Yeah, so no crazy five times optical or ten times hybrid. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I mean, wait, the 7 Pro is three times or two times? Uh, I believe it's, three. Th- it is three times. Yeah, I it's think like te- fake Technically, though, right? it's 2.2 yeah, exactly. times yeah, with yeah, a better yeah. crop, I remember that but now. whatever. That's why I'm confused. <laughs> OnePlus, uh, you had us all at three times at launch, and now we had I to know. reevaluate that. Cheeky, cheeky, right? Yeah, yeah. No, so that's cool. So overall, I mean, you've just started using it. You'll have a review uh, up at some point soon. Um, yes, in, in about a week. I'm I'm playing with it for a little while. People like to rush their reviews and oh, get no. out a day yeah. or two afterwards, but you really need to have it for at least a week. Use it as your I hate this phrase, daily driver. Daily driver. <laughs> you know, you know where that was going. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm enjoying it, and it feels, if, again, another cliche, feels good in the hand. Uh, I, I love the the direction they've gone with it. The screen's beautiful, so I'm I'm really enjoying it, and I think it it, it could be definitely worth considering. Cool. Well, that's exciting. Thanks for sharing. I obviously I'm going to try to get one. I'm going to bother Sony US. It's because it's going to come to the US as a, I think an unlocked device. So I'm going to see if I can get maybe one of those beautiful purple ones. Oh yes, because yes. that looks hot, hot, hot. You'll see it on my hands-on video if you haven't watched it yet, folks. Um, so yeah, look. Speaking of uh, kind of related, since we've been talking about OnePlus Seven and the S10. You did a video, which I will put in the show notes, uh, comparing the Reno uh, 10X Zoom with the OnePlus 7 Pro. Mm-hmm. And you, your takeaway, uh, I won't spoil it because I want you to share with the class, <laughs> but uh, but I was I thought it was obviously very interesting. I kind of agree with your takeaway, and I think that it was kind of inevitable because Oppo software is always kind of like meh. Yes. But I was a little disappointed that the... Um, the, that the only party trick was the zoom, really, in the end. So I, I to- agree. It, it's it's interesting, and actually, in the comments on my video, so I do I read every I genuinely do read every comment that people post on my uh, YouTube channel, uh, and it's interesting the amount of people who were actually who disagreed with me, 
and thought the Reno uh, was better, largely because it has just a flat screen. The amount of people who ah, hate yeah. carved edges on screens is 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 actually quite significant. But uh, for me, at least in my opinion, the seven, the OnePlus sort of wipe the floor is a strong word, but is is the clear winner. Ninety hertz, um, much more premium design, assuming you like it. Yeah, uh, the the software is much better. The camera overall, in terms of uh, sort of yeah overall quality, is is better, faster. It, it's just a better phone, and and for about fifty pounds difference, near enough the same price. But the but the Oppo. Interestingly, so last year that the Find X, uh, I love. It was the first one of the first pop-up screen phones. Yeah, uh, and a very beautiful. interesting pop-up design too. But far too expensive uh, yeah. for the brand. Like yeah. uh, like a, like a thousand pounds, I think. I think it was so iPhone ten money, uh, and Oppo just doesn't have that brand recognition in the UK. It still doesn't. But you know the fact that they've gone for this. Five, I think it's five hundred pounds. This Reno ten uh, ten times zero. So it's half the price. Still near enough flagship or upper mid upper you know upper mid range, they're definitely getting there in terms of improving the software, lowering the price, camera quality. They're not quite there yet, but by next year or later this year, I think they could be a real competitor, which is good to see. Yeah, no, I, I understand that, and I think you're right. I think that that to me the uh, the camera like the the 10x zoom alone is not going to do it. Like I I. I'm speaking of the screens. I do not like the rounded edges either. Like, but it, to me, it's not a deal breaker. I won't like not buy a phone because of it. Sure. But I have to say, the OnePlus Seven Pro for me, that it's the Quad HD and the ninety hertz. You know. Yeah, that ninety hertz. It, I mean, I presumably it has an impact on battery life, but it's just ain't going back to anything else. Feels like last year's phone. Absolutely, and it's kind of surprising too because you're like, how can that be a big deal, right? And then you use it and you're like, oh, it is a big deal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm, it's not just gaming phones. I think we can expect uh, refreshes of the Razer phone and the uh, ROG phone coming soon, but they kind of like led the way with high refresh. Uh, but now we're seeing it in mainstream devices, which is great. And fingers crossed. I think also uh, the Note 10 may have a 90 hertz as well. So that should be good. Yeah, no, absolutely. Maybe. I think, yeah, we hope so. Let's see. Um, I have a 90 hertz display phone. The, the Nubia. Red Magic. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Red Magic 3. And it's it's um, not as obvious. I think, I'm not sure the 90 hertz is always on. Like, I think it might mm-hmm. only be on when games are running for some reason in game mode. But it is uh, only a 1080p display. But nonetheless, for the money, and, and I'm bringing it up because I think there's a theme here. Um, you know, OnePlus 7 Pro kind of fits at the higher end of that theme. The theme being the Snapdragon 855 budget device, right? So yeah. the OnePlus 7 is not really budget, but I'm saying the, the 7 Pro. But there's the OnePlus 7 as well that fits into that 48 megapixel IMX586 and Snapdragon 855 in a yeah. cheap or more affordable priced chassis, uh, regardless of the other cameras and other features. So there's the OnePlus 7 Pro, the OnePlus 7. Zenfone Zen, uh, Zen 6, the Asus Zenfone 6. 6, which I'm still waiting to get a review in it of. Um, Same thing though, A55, 48 megapixels. Yeah, yeah. There is uh, the Nubia, and then yep. there is the uh, Redmi, the uh, mm-hmm. the K20 Pro, and. I don't know if the is the uh, is the Xiaomi Mi 9T at the same price level. I think it's still more expensive. But the K20 Pro from Redmi is basically like a $350 Snapdragon 855 IMX 586 48 megapixel it's crazy, isn't pop-up it? camera phone. 
Uh, it's kind of insane. And I think the, the, the Xiaomi Mi 9T is kind of the equivalent phone in Xiaomi land, but I think there's pricing differences and some minor spec differences. Can you imagine if they put stock Android on the, on the Redmi or the, the Red Magic, sorry? To, like, to, obviously, it's usually, usually the software and the camera processing that lets these things down. But here's but. the thing. Like, I've been using it for a week now, the Nubia, and I'm telling you, like, I am delighted with it. I'm not a gamer. I'm not using it as a gaming phone. I'm just using it as a main phone. And even, like, you can tell the 48 megapixel camera needs some tuning, but it's out of the box way better than any, like, it's, it's really good out of the box, the camera. Like, I think that sensor, as you said, the tuning makes a huge difference. But I do feel that Sony has somehow hit a sweet spot with that sensor, making it almost impossible for anyone to screw up a phone with that sensor. Like, yeah. like it's not going to be necessarily as good as like a tuned version of the software on that sensor, you know, out of the box. But I feel like I was not expecting anything from this camera on the Nubia. I was like, whatever. It's like, it's just an accessory. You know, it's a gaming phone. And oh my God, it's better than the Razer, better than the Asus... ROG phone, it's just better. Like then it's it's almost I would say it's comparable to um, the Zenfone six from the samples I've seen. Yeah, and it's cheaper. And the Zenfone six is yeah, and the Zenfone six you know is not the best implementation of that forty eight megapixel. Agreed. Although the fact that you can flip it around and use that for your selfie camera and ultra and also an ultra wide selfie camera. Well, yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of the killer app, isn't it? Yeah. I, yeah, my video I think should be going live tomorrow, which should be yesterday when this goes live. So uh, you can check that out. Uh, but I, I'm actually having a good time with it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting my review in it. Um, you know, we're gonna. It's it's harder. Like it's not officially out in the US yet to purchase. Right. So I, you know, uh, I'm not. In, I didn't gadget anymore. I can't just demand phones and have them arrive on <laughs> I'm command. I'm sure you could if you tried. Uh, <laughs> I try. This is so Your frustrating. Your name goes a long way. But I'm uh, hoping that Randall, if you're listening, Randall, uh, that uh, like Alex, you know, it's like you kind of have to poke Randall the right way to get what you want. Um, <laughs> ooh, that sounded terrible. Um, but anyway, uh, Randall, hopefully, will hook me up with Enphone Six very soon because I want to. I want to cover it for you, folks. Uh, I think it's uh, pretty interesting. I think this whole universe of, and that's kind of why I'm bringing it up. There's this like kind of magical little universe of Snapdragon 855 IMX 586 48 megapixel phones out there that is spanning that 350 US dollars to, you know, uh, 700 US dollar range. And that brings all kinds of goodness to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So speaking of uh, Oppo, there is, uh-huh. uh, I mean, this has been going on for a while, but apparently this happened Earlier today, somewhere, today, maybe at GSM. There's a teaser trailer for it. Was it? There's a, a concept for now, as in, like, it's not an actual. Yeah, product, was I this think. at uh, um, uh, at MWC Shanghai, Shanghai? MWC Shanghai. That's it. So it's officially now coming. Whereas before that, it was just like a teaser, right? Like we had a right. teaser video, I think, from Oppo. I have to. I have to think that this is the future. I mean, can oh, you yeah. imagine in in say even eighteen months having a phone with a mechanical popping up camera? That, I think that's going to seem so old-fashioned so quickly. Yep, yep. I think that under-display cameras have been the end game all along, and the ch- challenge is going to be to make a camera that's decent enough in low light. I think daytime's no problem. I think you're going to need a super fast lens, like an f of a one point something. Yeah. Uh, one point four maybe. Four. Yeah, yeah. And mm. then you're going to need a very sensitive uh, sensor, uh, maybe doing pixel binning. And you're going to need, uh, obviously, to have a screen that is designed for it. 
uh, it has to be AMOLED or OLED, and it has to basically go dark, the screen, like yeah. it has to go black in that area. Because any light leakage will be picked up. It's kind of like light, light you know, travels along the, the glass, and uh, that's like fiber optic works. And so that's why, you know, when you have a phone that has the glass of the back panel is shared with the camera glass, there's a few phones that have this issue. Um, any light that touches the glass, like even an inch or two down, it kind of like travels into the lens and it's, you can kind of see um, weird, um, what's it called, blobs of, 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 of kind of like light in low light in very dark environments uh, that be mm. kind of like lens flare, but, but worse. Like, and so you want to avoid that and that's going to be the biggest challenge. You can fix that with algorithms. That's the good news. It's like, it's like fingerprint smudges. There are algorithms today that will remove the smudges um, to some extent. Uh, I think you can do some optimizations around removing these in digital form. So I think that's going to need to happen. But I'm super stoked. I'm really excited because I'm seeing this yeah. forever. This is the end game, right? In terms of um, having a full full display in the front with with a front facing cam still. Somehow. And they, they managed to, they seem to, even with these full view pop up selfie cameras now, they still seem to manage to fit in a, a speaker at the top. Uh, so so really, you're, the only thing you may be lacking is like a good. Um, face unlocking perhaps but then uh, I mean if you had some like with the in-screen fingerprint readers it's you have to they, they've created like nice graphics around it a little a little sort of shiny thing that happens when you press your finger if they did some sort of uh, you know blacking around, blacking out of the area around the, the camera for your face unlock or when you go to selfie mode I think that could look quite cool yeah uh, absolutely but as you say it would have to be AMOLED because you'd have to turn off the individual pixels yeah. around it no, but it's coming, and so now we know that it's more official, and, uh, you know, I expect it to be on an Oppo phone this fall, basically, at this yeah, point. Yep. I agree. And then, uh, so that's exciting. So that's one piece of news we had this week. Another one was a 64-megapixel uh, binned sensor, so outputting 16 megapixels uh, is, is coming from Realme. Um, and you know, we, again, the sensor's not new. We've heard it's coming. I think it's made by Samsung. It's a Samsung sensor, a GW1, I believe. Yes. Uh, something like that. And so what is your take on that? Do you think that's kind of just like, I, I mean, I'm not convinced that more than an, a, like a final picture that's more than 12 megapixels on a phone is really necessary. Right. And for a while we had 16 megapixel sensors all over the place and they kind of sucked compared to their 12 <laughs> megapixel counterparts because the 12 megapixel ones had bigger pixel sizes, right? Bigger pixel, so individual pixels. Right. So and I'm that's, wondering that's so if that, that's the same issue here. They're, they're going for the numbers more than, you know, the actual performance. Here. I thought we'd got past this, the, the megapixel wars. I thought we'd moved on about four years ago from this, but it seems not. And, and you're right, it's the equivalent. It's going from a bin a bin down 12 megapixel to a 16 megapixel with roughly uh, with these with this new sensor so they say you'll get the same sort of low light performance as a 48 megapixel Sony IMX586 but just high resolution do they I don't, I'm have not the convinced. same pixel size? Is it 0.9 micron per pixel bin together into 1.8 micron? It's points, 1.6. Uh, so it's 0.8. Okay, so it's 0.8 oh, sorry, no, uh, individual uh, yes. pixels. Okay, so yeah, so they're, you know, because the, pix the, the surface area has to kind of stay more or less the same for phone manufacturers to, uh, you know, they don't have that much real estate inside of the phone. So yeah, I, I will... I will you know, I'll believe it when I see it because I honestly feel that Sony kind of dominates the sensor game. I every time Samsung makes a sensor, it's okay, but it's not. You know, yeah. 
Yeah. It, actually, while, while we're talking about cameras, this was really interesting. As I was testing, going back, the Sony versus the Samsung camera. Sure. Did you know that... Well, so in the UK, we have the Exynos chip version of the S10 Plus. And generally, that's considered to be the worst, the, the less good version. The battery life on the US Snapdragon one is generally about, I think, about 20% better. So that's annoying for us. But in the UK and Europe and internationally, if you have the Exynos Galaxy S10 Plus, you, we have night mode. There's an actual night mode option in the camera. And that's huh. also been updated this week to be almost as good as the Pixel's Nightscape. Almost. Ooh. Now, I actually dropped mine, so I isn't for repair. So I've got uh, the Qualcomm S10 Plus with me. Right. Doesn't it doesn't have night mode. It doesn't have night mode, yeah. And it has some sort it, of night mode, but it, it sucks. It does. It has like yeah. scene optimizer, but they had that, they've had that, had, uh, sorry, they've had that since launch. And, I remember, and this was back in April they updated it on the Exynos. And so I can't actually finish my Sony camera comparison until I get back to the UK, get my Exynos version to then do a, a, a genuinely good night mode comparison with what should eventually come to the US model as well. But yeah, I just thought, how, how's a, a Samsung phone in the US? several months behind updates of an international version with such a fairly important feature like night mode. Because, you know, complacency. It's like, you know, I mean, it's such an overwhelming majority of Galaxy S and Notes and and iPhones here in the US. Like, if you look around, right? I'm sure you've noticed. Yeah. Like, everybody has a flagship and it's always a Galaxy or an iPhone. That's it. And, and it's like the, that Samsung doesn't care. And the, you have to also understand that the carriers have to approve the software. Most of the people you see holding right. a phone on the streets have a phone with crapware that's yes. locked to the network that, the has, a, that has a custom Sprint. boot screen and sound Ugh. and that you can't turn off. It's a terrible, terrible Ugh. experience. These people live in hell, Tom, and they <laughs> don't do they do even know it. How do they get up in the morning? I don't know. I mean, that's why probably they end up buying an iPhone in the end because they get so well, frustrated with the point. BS they get on an Android phone. And having 5GE on, is it Sprint or whatever? AT&T. Yeah. AT&T, sorry. Yeah, 5G evolution, please. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's my point. Like, that's, I think, what's happening is... You know, they're, yeah, they don't, they don't get, they're not going to get these up. Even if Samsung makes for the international or whatever, the unlocked Qualcomm version has a night mode tomorrow. Uh, that's not going to trickle down to these, uh, you know, carrier phones until probably the end of the summer at this point at best. Yeah. So it's a disaster. I just don't understand why people do it. I guess they do it because they don't care and because they can walk into a store and get and walk out with a new phone and just add $20 a month to their payment plan. You know what I'm saying? But you know what? We've just spent the last half, 20 minutes talking about all these innovations from Chinese or Asian companies. We haven't mentioned Apple or Samsung or um, I'm trying to think who else really. <laughs> but, in, you know, we're talking about in-screen cameras, uh, new uh, high megapixel soft uh, uh, sensors, a, a bunch of stuff. And they're all coming from these relatively unknown Chinese brands. And they really are pushing the boundaries. whereas we're getting complacency in a lot of areas from the likes of, I appreciate Samsung's Korean as well, but uh, from the, the big names out there. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think this is why it's so disappointing to see what's happened with Huawei and the, and the US politics, because Huawei yes. was the biggest innovator of them all, in my opinion. Night they still are, Zoom but now their hands design. are tied and they can't do anything. So yeah. 
It's it's stifling innovation. That's what bothers me the most. I mean, there's so many things that bother me. As I said, I live in a freaking authoritarian regime, and it just drives me nuts on so many levels as an individual. But at the same time, when I see this specifically, you know, applying to my passion for mobile technology, yeah. it's it's you know, it's such a destructive thing because Apple is always super complacent. Like the only sure. innovative phone that, in my opinion, has has been the iPhone 10. That was a milestone. That was a significant yeah. push forward. And it was the first time they pushed forward since the iPhone 5S, I would say, because that's when they introduced uh, uh, Touch ID, which was the first proper implementation mm -hmm. of a fingerprint reader that worked well. And then before that, the iPhone 4. That's, to me, that's it. There's the original iPhone, the 4, the 5S for the fingerprint, and then the 10. Anything in between is just boring. It's just evolution. It's just rinse and repeat. And, and that's sad, right? And I know they can do better. But with Tim Cook at the helm, it's all about numbers. It's not so much about innovation anymore. And and I don't want to say that, you know, in a, despite them, because I feel like it's, you know, look, the Mac Pro just came out and finally, finally something cool. Now, I can't yeah. afford it. Oh, no. But this is in like the, the iPad Pro last year. And then there's, it, there's a few devices that stand out, like the Mac, the original MacBook Air, the, the first MacBook 12-inch. Um you know, this is what I want to see from Apple more consistently. And I know maybe it's a high bar to set, but I feel like they delivered in the past. And now it's just kind of like, eh, whatever. And Samsung, you know, they're they're only doing push they were only pushing hard last year with the S10 or this year with the S10 and this and and, and all that lately because because of Huawei, right? Yeah. I don't yeah. think there's and because they were losing ground in terms of sales in big parts of the world to Apple and to Huawei. And now they're like, ha, we don't have to worry about that anymore. So let's just make some boring phones again. I'm really worried it's this is gonna happen for I'm the I'm not that excited about the Note 10 though, from what the leaks are. Although the Galaxy Folds should be coming out soon when they fix it, but yeah. I oh agree. my God, the fold. Does that fold well, even exist? Uh, well, is that, I, I was that a figment of our imagination? <laughs> it does feel like it, doesn't it? Because they've also delayed the Huawei's uh, Mate X, I think they call it. I think it's a Mate X. Yeah. Uh, until September. I just feel I like it was a parallel universe and we were like teleported to it for a moment. <laughs> and then the parallel universe, like kind of like the gate, the, the Stargate closed, right? And the phone went with it. You know, it's never going to yeah. come back. It I, just, yeah. It it's feels like that to me. Yeah. It's so interesting. Um, I, I want to round up the the crazy uh, crazy Chinese phone news and then maybe talk about 5G a little bit because I want to hear your thoughts on 5G in the UK. Um, there's another couple of pieces of news here. <laughs> Xiaomi has introduced yet another brand. Uh-huh. So, I, I, yeah, I feel worried. I'm kind of worried about that because how many brands does Xiaomi have now? I, so, uh, me, yeah, me, Redmi. Redmi, uh, Redmi, Pocophone. Yep. Uh, we need a new the, poker phone. The we gaming brand, uh, yep. Shark something. What is it? Shark skin? No. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm honest. There's too many. I don't, you know, is I'm, I might be wrong. It might not be Xiaomi. But I, I think they have a gaming phone model uh, that's named something. Then there's the CC is a new one. So it's the letter C next to the letter C, like CC, sub-brand. And so what's the shtick? Like, are they... So it's supposed to be camera and camera. So ah, they're, they're, they're pushing for like a, a youthful audience. So it's a bit like Huawei has done with the Honor, Honor the Honor sub-brand. Got it. It's, but I just, aside from the marketing and maybe putting more beauty modes in the selfie camera, I'm not sure how you really target phones to a youth audience. Generally, they want, they want similar things. Everyone wants a good camera. Yeah, I, I, I mean... 
I find it very, I think it's very interesting and not necessarily a bad, in a bad way that these companies have created these, all these different sub-brands. Because I feel like, honestly, you know, they, have, they seem to have their place. At first, I was very incredulous when I saw, you know, like uh, these different brands. But now I kind of get it. Like Redmi is really pushing the price point, right? And, yeah. and then, you know, you've got like uh, at BBK land, you've got Vivo, Oppo, OnePlus. Uh, it's kind it's of interesting. Like, yeah. so I, I'm, I'm going to have a wait and see attitude on this, but I, sure. I do also feel that, you know, especially in the West where we're barely getting used to these Chinese brands, right? At least in Europe. Um, it's kind of confusing, if anything, to have another I, brand I, thrown it's in. It's a right? shame to say it, but I bet a, a company called CC or literally anything that doesn't sound like a Chinese company with like Huawei, mm-hmm. obviously is a, a Chinese sounding name and brand. And I think that applies to Xiaomi. And I think the average consumer just has this probably inaccurate, sorry, probably uh, wrong, but what, what, you know, either way they have it, uh, idea that Chinese equals spying or equals low quality or, or something negative, which is a shame, a real shame. But I think that's just how social media and fake news and blah, blah, blah is uh, portraying them. So I think to have like Honor or CC uh, in the UK and Europe probably would do better than saying, have you got the new Xiaomi? And how do you say it? Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, but Huawei was there, remember? In the early days, like, how do you say Huawei, right? And right. they became huge in Europe, and now they're kind of suffering. It's true. And yeah. Honor is huge in Europe. So, I, I mean, Honor is actually pretty easy to pronounce, obviously, right? Because but, they've, they've created it specifically for a Western audience. Yeah, for, for sure. But I think it's interesting to me how... You know, these these brands, I think this is really more of a play in China, obviously, right? I think I mean, so. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, but I mean, it's good. Yeah, we'll see what happens. You'll see what happens. The more the more phones, the merrier is how I see it. No, don't uh, say that. We've already, we've got too many. Like, I know, I'm it, just, I just have, now have to kind of skip over some phones, sadly. It's kind of hard, but There's I have to. not enough to. hours in the day. Um, and then the last kind of interesting tidbit of news of the week in terms of Chinese phones is that we have Vivo uh, announced that they're making a 120-watt charging system. Uh, that's a lot of watts that can charge the entire battery from 0 to 100% in 13 minutes. I would love to see how long this battery lasts because that's the problem, isn't it? It's like the faster you charge it, generally that can uh, degrade and well, uh, damage so the here's battery. the interesting thing. You know, Tesla um, yep. supercharging works pretty much the same. Very, very high fee speed charging at a much larger scale, right? With a much larger number of cells to balance and stuff, and they make it work. Um, there are a bunch of Teslas in the U.S. now from. Um, you know, fleets like uh, limousine companies, et cetera, that have uh, 450,000 miles and are wow. only on their second pack. Uh, like Tesloop is one of the companies in Southern California that that um, is like one of those limousine services for, uh, for using Tesla as they, they shuttle people to and from airports and kind of like an executive kind of uh, mm-hmm. setup. And, and they actually have shared with the community of Tesla enthusiasts. I know this because I'm a Model 3 owner myself, so I kind of follow the oh, Tesla Oh, I'm so universe. jealous. Um, that they've, they've shared that their battery degradation on their cars before, generally the battery fails for something un, completely unexpected and unrelated, and Tesla covers it under warranty. But most of their battery packs have lasted at least two to 300,000 miles with only a degradation of 80%, uh, in the sense that 80% was the battery capacity at the end of the life of the battery. Now, 
This is wow. supercharging three or four times a day, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not convinced. Like what I'm saying is that it right. it certainly is not going to last as long as if as you, as you delicately charging a battery slowly, right? That is a given. That's science. But I think that it's interesting to see. Of course, on a phone you don't care either because it's going to last two years and be obsolete. But yeah. it's interesting. It would be interesting to see how much actual degradation do you see True. with this. I'm not well, convinced you would. Because what's the current fastest? Is it Huawei's 40 watt? Uh, no, I think there's higher than that. I think somebody's done 50 or 60 watts now. Uh, okay. Uh -huh. Let me think. Um, Lamborg uh, one of the Lamborghini phones from Vivo, I want to say, had, had a 60 watt charging maybe. Right. Oh, wait, wait, wait. The Oppo uh, something pro. I'm trying to remember the name. I have it. There's some Somewhere. fast Googling going on here in the background. Yeah, sure. we need to do some fast Googling. <laughs> but there's an Oppo phone that I received recently that came with a massive 60 or 70 watt charger and it charged super fast. I love that. With the latest VOOC. Whatever. Oh, yes, VOOC, yes. VOOC. <laughs> uh, and so this is kind of uh, the same, you know, Oppo and Vivo, obviously, are sister companies. So this is kind of Vivo's next, you know, like, let's push it even further kind of thing. And 13 minutes for full charge. So uh, look, I think it's kind of silly in many ways. You would never, first of all, discharge your phone fully. Secondly, you would never want to fully charge it uh, necessarily, right? Like usually you, right. you plug it in during the day for a boost. And then if you plug it in, it does charge in 13 minutes fully. Like why would you leave it plugged in overnight at that point, right? Like why don't you it's charge it while you're in the shower in the morning? It's, I think yeah. it, it changes the game of when and where you charge. It I feel does, that yes. with my, my OnePlus 7 Pro, um, you know, I still plug it in at night in the evening. And usually I plug it in, like, like by the time I go to bed, it's like at 70 or 60% because I, mm -hmm. I don't use it as my daily drive. It's just in my pocket. I use it a little bit. And it's, you know, maybe at 80% or something. I plug it in and then it's, it, by the time I come back from brushing my teeth, it's back at 95%, right? And I'm like, should I leave it plugged in overnight or should I, maybe I should just plug in every other night? Like I'm trying to warn, wondering if this habit we have of plugging our phones at night is, is I, required I do the anymore. same thing and you might be right. I, I, I have not thought about it, but yeah, probably not. It's probably not good for it. Although I presume it just cuts out at some point, but if it keeps trickling the top up from 99 to 100, 99 to 100, then that's probably not yeah. great, but we'll have to see. So from, from what I hear from like, um, you know, for in the Tesla universe, for example, what, you know, they always say that it's better for the battery to be charged slower. So if you yes. can do slower charge, it's better. But they also say you never should charge more than 90%. And on the Tesla, you can set the percentage, right? You can say, I'll stop at 90% or stop at 95 or stop at 85. You can even stop at 50% if you want. Um, I do a lot of long distance traveling because I have two residences. I go between San Francisco and Portland. It's about 600 and 35 miles and it, took, it takes me three stops at superchargers at, with a range of 310 miles which Ouch. realistically ends up being a 250 mile range because I drive fast and I have air conditioning and all that <laughs> other stuff so so basically I stop three times and I charge for about 40 minutes 45 minutes each and I never really set it to 100 I set it to maybe 95 for the supercharging and then when I'm at home I have it set to about 90 or 85 and I kind of find that I recoup the little bit of driving I do for daily chores, uh, which is only 10, 20 miles a day. I recoup that by just plugging in a regular 110 volt, like the cheapest, simplest socket. And so it's very slow, but it recoups that in the six or seven hours that I sleep. So it's actually very interesting because I think that's probably the healthiest for the battery. But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
But Tesloop, this company in California that has a limousine service for te- with Tesla, is saying that you know they're surprised to see how uh, well managed the batteries are by the software, such that they don't see a huge decrease in performance. So I have a feeling that if uh, you get this phone or this technology trickles down to a Vivo phone the next year or two, and eventually to Oppo and OnePlus, that we're not going to necessarily find that it's going to affect the performance of the battery. Uh, since the electronics and all the heat is generated in the charger with these anyway, right? That's true. That's true. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Have you had a chance to drive a Tesla yet? I have. I've driven all of them. I just haven't had the chance to Because be I saw, owner of one yet. I was super stoked when I went to your channel to see you sometimes review cars as well. So Occasionally, you... yeah. Honestly, they don't do as well. It's the, YouTube, the problem with YouTube is you build an audience around uh, say laptops and phones and then you try and do something that's still tech related but a bit different and you the algorithm punishes you uh, because it's not a phone unboxing or a versus camera comparison which is a shame because, but, but I don't let it stop me I, I still I'll do what I enjoy and that I think people will be interested in and then YouTube can deal with it how it likes but you do get punished a bit but no I, I love some car tech stuff and cool. I think we're seeing even a, a more crossover between those two areas so I agree. Yeah. I hear from other creators it's hard to make money on the car stuff. Um, so yeah. Uh, one last thing before we go is 5G has finally launched on T-Mobile USA. And as you know, I'm a big fan of T-Mobile. I'm a customer. Mm-hmm. I'll admit I'm maybe biased here. But I've been a customer with them for almost 20 years. So there's a good reason for that is because I feel that they really provide the best technology and 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 the most affordable prices. The coverage could be better in some areas, but I really do feel that overall, if you want the fastest speeds, the cheapest prices, and the most kind of like friendly to weird phones carrier, because in the US, you know, like if you bring a weird Oppo phone to a, the carrier and ask them for a SIM, they chew you out the door almost, you know? It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. This is not one of our approved phones. Go away. And I'm like, no, they're not like that. Timo is super, super cool. And they have a great CEO. John Ledger is a really fun guy. I met him in person a few times. Now, so it's hard not to, it's not hard not to like them. And apparently they treat their people really well too as employees. But the reality is that they finally launched 5G. It's millimeter wave in six markets. I can't remember all the cities, but LA is one of them. If you're in LA, Uh, the other ones are smaller cities. Uh, Maybe New York is in there somewhere. But any, the, the point is that, if you have been waiting for 5G on T-Mobile, you can get it now. And the only phone I think they have is the Galaxy S10 5G. Yep. So that's the news part. But the reason I brought it up is I don't live in any of the markets that they have it. So I'm, I asked for a review unit. I could drive from San Francisco down to LA. Um, it's a six-hour drive, about three, 400 miles, uh, and test it out. But obviously, I might wait to get a 5G phone from T-Mobile when they actually have a network in my areas that I live. But what's your experience been? Have you played with 5G in the UK? It's been out a little longer than here, et cetera, et cetera. Well, not to a huge extent, although it's only been out about a month. Uh, it's, it's very, very new. There's a, there's a few phones. You've got the OnePlus 7 Pro 5G, uh, S10 5G, Oppo Reno 5G, Zell G1, uh, the V50 ThinQ. Uh, so it's a handful. Um, and EE right now is the only uh, network um, that has uh, 5G. EE actually stands for Everything Everywhere, and it's quite yeah. funny because the CEO, it's almost like you're the the, boss, the CEO of Everything Everywhere, so it's a, it's a, it's a hell of a title. <laughs> but uh, So from what I've tested so far, you do see real benefits. Around London, you'll often see maybe three to four times the download speeds, um, but obviously that varies within 
inches or feet of where you are, like it goes up and down. Um, so in the UK, I don't believe we do use millimeter wave. I no, you believe- guys are sub six. So it's interesting because in the US right now, the three carriers, well, actually four carriers that have announced, I'm not sure about Sprint, but at least T-Mobile, AT&T and Verizon so far are on millimeter wave. And it's very localized, obviously, because of millimeter yes. wave and very small pockets of certain markets. But uh, obviously, T-Mobile is one of the ones that has the most has a lot of sub six spectrum for five G. So we should see that rolling out later in the year. And then I think I'm not sure about Sprint's rollout. I need to check. But all four have basically have markets now with five G at least on millimeter wave. Okay. And um, but it's a very different experience, obviously, than than sub six. So my biggest question to you is with EE is do you get uploads over 5g because in the us at least on verizon so far if you use 5g millimeter you only get the downloads over 5g and the uploads are still over lte so you don't really get the benefits as a youtuber you know what i'm saying uh so yes it is faster but it's not to the full extent you might think i think uh i've tested it i think it went in one area from like a 4g 100 megabit upload to about 150 um so, yes, but I don't think they promise any guaranteed upload speeds. No, it's but like, you do see an improvement, right, on uploads? Yes. So, for, 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 as a creator, it really makes a difference. It could it, make it a does. difference. It does. Yes, but uh, that still varies significantly, and it's not as anywhere near as big a jump as download speeds. And also, coverage, as you say, is so limited. And uh, well, But, I mean, hopefully this is... We'll have to see how... Uh, these networks deal with data caps because one of the big ideas right. that I love about 5G is that it could replace potentially crappy slow home Wi-Fi if you have good mobile. I, in my parents' house, but the 4G is several times faster than the uh, the broadband through the Wi-Fi through the router. Um, so this this could be I could I'd love to see that. But if you've got data caps that you can burn through in five minutes, then uh, 5G is not going to be that useful. Right. No, absolutely. Well, I'm looking forward to being able to share with you, you listeners what the 5G experience is like, whether it's sub six or millimeter, whatever comes first to one of my markets, which for me are Portland or San Francisco, but obviously San Francisco and the Bay Area in general, which is a pretty big space. I can easily travel of 30 miles or so to get uh, to try it out. It's a little harder to go to LA to try out T-Mobile 5G. Uh, Seattle would be another option because if Seattle had service, uh, it's only a two hour drive from Portland. So I could test that out, but I'm looking forward to a time when I have a 5G device on any network here. That is a review unit that I can test in a market where it's close to me and I can report back and let you know what the experience is. This really is cutting edge. I think 2020 is going to be the year for... For sure. I mean, right now, again, I feel like a lot of other tech journalists and, and, you know, tech YouTube creators is that hold off if you feel compelled to buy a 5G device, even if you're in a market... I'm not sure it's worth the cost, especially the extra cost on the monthly payment of the plan. And, you know, as as Tom just said, data caps haven't really been sorted out yet. You're going to go through these data caps so quickly. It's going to be a problem. So, but it's exciting to see that it's happening, right? It's happening. Finally. um, As a bit of a T-Mobile fangirl, I just had to include this T-Mobile news today. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, not so sponsored Tom, by Team Ever. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's not. I just want to make that clear. Sadly, uh, maybe it will be. Maybe, uh, hey, Des, Timo, can you uh, work out a sponsorship for me uh, if you're listening? Uh, but yeah, Tom, do you want to tell people where on the internet they can find you, your social media handles, and of course, pimp your channel, will you? Of course. Well, so I am the tech chap. Uh, you can find me on YouTube is my main platform. I'm also on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and yeah, I make videos three times a week on the latest phones, laptops, computers, PC hardware, the odd car, anything that's shiny and has a plug socket usually. But uh, uh, <laughs> like yeah, it's it. just me. I actually recently hired my brother who's full time with me now. So it's the, the Tech Chat Bros. That's not the official title, but uh, he's helping me <laughs> out. So we're expanding. And uh, yeah, if you want to check it out, Tech Chat like and subscribe all those things and uh, i'd love to see you there fantastic so yeah do check out tom's channel and his uh various handles you know where to find me on the internet i'm at tankgirl that's t-n-k-g-r-l on twitter and on instagram it's like the comic book character tankgirl without the vowels so drop the vowels and you'll get the handle it's very easy <laughs> Uh, but unfortunately, I couldn't get that on YouTube. So my YouTube channel, which is a complement to the show, basically, since the show is audio and you may, might want to see devices and, you know, see them being handled in real life, you can watch the videos on channel. There's unboxing, hands-ons, reviews, etc. Mine are not nearly as polished as what Tom creates, but mine are kind of like very punk rock DIY. So I... I Check them out. It's youtube.com slash Miriam Joarm, like my full name. If you don't know how to spell my name, go to my Twitter and you'll find my full name. Just remember, there's no space there. So it's youtube.com slash Miriam Please subscribe, tell your friends, like the videos if you do, uh, hate the videos if you do. Whatever. Like them if you don't, don't anyway. Don't, just... Exactly. Like them if you don't, if you hate them too. But comment, comment, please. Uh, yes. Also, if you want to comment on the podcast, you probably, there's no way to comment on the actual podcast if you're listening on one of the many platforms so just go to twitter just ask me on twitter like hey i don't agree with you or whatever like you know give me some uh give me something to talk about on twitter yeah. um mostly i want to say the podcast is at mobiletechpodcast.com uh you can see the show notes there if your podcast app doesn't display them properly um it's also where the rss feed is if you know what an rss feed is and then of course we're on google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, pocket cast overcast tune in radio and spotify so spotify is probably going to be the go-to for a lot of you unless you're a hardcore podcaster and you have like a podcasting app like pocket cast or something but um yeah i want to thank our sponsor audible audible.com is where it's at for audiobooks if you love books and you maybe not can't read them uh, because you're driving all day, you're a delivery driver or something. That's always my go-to example. But uh, maybe you are uh, traveling or something and it's not convenient for you to read because it's too dark or whatever. Audible. Audible.com is where uh, you're going to get your books, your fix of books. They have a great selection. They are affordable. They're pretty awesome folks. And uh, they've been a sponsor for a long time. So if you support uh, them, you'll support me. And uh, the way you do that is we get a 30-day free trial offer for people who are not subscribers yet. So go to audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. It's also in the show notes. And you can get your started with Audible for free for 30 days. So check it out. And again, the selection is amazing. Um, my favorite part is that the authors often read their own books. And that's really cool because you kind of really get into their mind, basically. Get into their brain. Yeah. So uh, audible.com, thanks so much for sponsoring us. And uh, Tom, thanks so much for being on the show. That was a really good time. Me. Yeah. yeah. Do Let's again. do it again sometime, will you? Yes, please. Awesome. All Sounds right. Good. Well, 
Stay tuned for another show next week and we'll talk to you then. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.